Thank you, Andy. That was great. So it's really good to be with you again today. And thank you, Andy, for allowing Beth and I to come along and share more about the work of Christians Against Poverty. And I want to say thank you to you as a church for uh, supporting the work of Christians Against Poverty. But there are also many individuals here who are involved in the CAP team. Some of you are on the prayer team behind the scenes making things happen without you the, the debt centre would not be effective. And then there are people who give financially, which is a massive help. And then there are the team of people who get involved with the clients going out on appointments, meeting with them to help with phone calls. Uh, there's people doing admin behind the scenes. So I just want to say thank you so, so much. So CAP is a charity that has been running for 27 years to help people with unmanageable debt. And Christ Church and The Stable, like many other churches across the UK, have partnered with CAP. And we have been doing that since July 2021 here in Barnet. And over a course of three appointments, we will visit a client in their home. We will establish their income, their expenditure and their level of debt. And then an amazing team of debt advisors at head office will establish a budget and a route out of debt for them, and we will support them all the way until they are debt-free. We don't pay their debt for them, but the service is completely free. And as I said, we support them all the way on that journey. And it is such a privilege for Beth and I to do this work. And we're so pleased to be here with you today. And Beth said to me yesterday, she said, oh, I'm really looking forward to being at Christchurch again and just connecting with people and just worshipping with you. So we have a stall at the back. Please come and chat to us afterwards if you'd like to find out um, more. Hopefully I'm going to tell you a bit more as we go along. But if you'd like to hear even more, come and speak to us. We'd love to speak to you. So I have a question for you to think about this morning. Just to think and visualize in your mind is what is the biggest crowd that you have ever been a part of? It could have been a sporting or a musical event. I just want you to think about that and just imagine it in your mind's eye. And if you're struggling to do that, here's this picture. A huge crowd of people can be quite an incredible sight. I don't know, have any of you been uh, to the pyramid stage at, at Glastonbury? Have any of you ever been there? Yeah, some of you have. No, that's not Glastonbury. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't got that picture up there. Um, but when I, I've never been there, but when I see that on the television, these 100,000 people just standing there crammed together, you just, it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It's absolutely huge. And uh, it's quite hard to grasp that number, really. I think even though you see images on the television, it's quite hard to grasp that. Keep thinking of that 100,000. Because that crowd of 100,000 represents only a small fraction of those who are living in poverty in the UK today. We know the cost of living is horrendous. And incomes are not matching the expenditure. And in fact, there are 13.4 million people in this country living in poverty right now, according to the Joseph Roundtree Foundation. That is enough to fill 13, over 13 pyramid 
stage people at Glastonbury. Enough to fill 150 Wembley stadiums. That is phenomenal, isn't it? Actually, it's not phenomenal, it's horrendous. For anyone who has never experienced it, it's easy to hear the word poverty and wonder what does it actually mean. And Gareth Nabb, who is the CAPS Director of External Affairs, puts it very simply and equally starkly. Poverty is when you haven't got enough income to be able to afford what you need for life. Let me say that again. Poverty is when you haven't got enough income to be able to afford what you need for life. And it's no secret that people are having to routinely choose between eating or putting the heating on so that they can have a wash in warm water. They can't afford both. And I'm sure that you are sitting there thinking, yeah, we hear that all the time. And maybe we get a bit fed up of hearing that time and time again on the news and hearing people like me saying it. But sadly, it is a reality for so many people. CAP recently commissioned a a YouGov poll, and this is what they came out with. According to the poll, 16 million people have been forced to skip meals recently due to the cost. That is a quarter of our population. They also found that half of all adults, 25 million, went without heating at some point last winter as they couldn't afford the energy costs. And I'm sure that some of you can relate to that because actually my husband Pete and I We weren't putting the heating on so much. I was sitting there during the day with blankets over my knees and someone bought me an Udi, which I was really grateful for, and it kept me warm. But many are finding themselves in these impossible situations every day. And the YouGov poll found that 6 million people, which is 1 in 11 of our population, have gone without heat on a daily basis as a result of poverty. So I'm going to guess that there's about maybe 100 people here this morning. I'm not really sure, maybe more. But imagine there's 100 of us. So that means that in a congregation of this size, potentially there are nine people who could be going without heating on a daily basis. Maybe there's more. In the borough of Barnet, there are 35,500 who are going without heating on a daily basis. The numbers are horrendously huge, aren't they? I think it's quite sobering if we really sit and think about it. The never-ending pressure of financial insecurity also has a detrimental health, um, detrimental impact on people's mental health and their well-being. And last year, uh, just before Christmas, I went and uh, I had a third appointment with a lovely lady. Uh, who had actually worked with us about six or seven years ago and had gone through bankruptcy where she'd had all her debts written off at that time. And she really got herself in a good place. She started to budget, she found herself a job, and she was keeping her head above water. And then the pandemic hit, and everything fell apart. She couldn't work, and everything just spiralled out of control. She attempted suicide and uh, when we met with her 
On her final appointment, I gave her the news that she just didn't want to hear, that Cap's route out of debt for her was to go through another form of insolvency. And I could just see everything. It just like suddenly sat so heavy on her. And her mental health in that meeting just took another dive. And she just said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And we had to stop that meeting because she just could not deal with going through that insolvency again. And we'll come back to that story later. But that's how people, so many people are living on that knife edge because things are just spiraling out of control. But we know that as the church, as God's people, as followers of Jesus, he calls us to serve those who are in need. And if you are not sure about that, that I haven't got that quite right, just read your Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it is full of the heart of God towards those who are living on the edge, towards those who are marginalized, towards those who are needy, towards those who are living in poverty. He commands Israel to leave grain at the edge so that those who are in need can go and get food. That is the heart of God. There was a year of Sabbath and Jubilee so that debts could be cleared. What a wonderful system. Because that is the heart of God towards not just the nation of Israel, but it was beyond. It's towards his creation. That is the heart of God. And this morning, to help us to consider further that response and our response to poverty, we're going to take a a look back 2,000 years at that passage that Andy read just before I started, to a rural location by the Sea of Galilee, the site of a well-known miracle of Jesus. Now, you would have heard that story read this morning. I don't know, for some of you, maybe you'd never heard that story before. Maybe it's your first time in church today. Maybe you've never read the Bible. That's absolutely fine. But for many of us, that will be a really well-known story. And in this story, Jesus, too, was confronted by a vast crowd of people. And it tells us, doesn't it, in that story, that there were 5,000 men... But it also says, besides women and children. We always talk about the feeding of the 5,000. But most scholars agree that the size of that crowd was probably in excess of 20,000. So at this point, it's worth noting as well that Jesus had just lost a relative, John the Baptist. And so he was taking some time out to grieve. Let's read the passage, well, the first couple of verses that Andy read. Jesus, um, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. John the Baptist had been beheaded by the government of the day. He needed that space. But hearing about this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, what did he do? He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Wow. What an amazing, remarkable response. I have to say, I would say I don't think, but I think I know that that's not what I would have done. 
I think, as I saw that crowd coming towards the edge of the Sea of Galilee, I would have turned my boat around and gone in the opposite direction and found a place where I could hide and be quiet and grieve the loss of my relative. But when Jesus was confronted by people, he didn't do that. What, what do we do when we hear the news? When you're, as you're listening to me now, what are you doing Are we sitting there thinking, oh, do you know what? This is just too big a problem. I can't can't do anything about this. This is too overwhelming for me. I'm fed up of hearing about it. And we just bury our head or we choose to walk away. But Jesus doesn't do either of those things. He faces the crowd. He takes note of the crowd. And he allows the interruption into his life at a difficult moment. This is one of the things I really love about Jesus. I love the way he responds really well to interruptions. Maybe it's because I I don't respond so well and I like my organized life. But I want to be more like Jesus in that. I want to be able to respond well to interruptions. It's because Jesus loves people. He is crazy about us. Even if we don't love him, even if we hate him, even if we don't believe in him, he is crazy about us. He loves us. He is kind. He is gracious. He is compassionate and loving. He's not angry and he's not harsh. And if any of you are sitting there thinking today that God is angry with you, I want you to encounter Jesus afresh or maybe for the first time because Jesus is God the Father And he came to show us the love that God has for each one of us. Jesus is so compassionate. And that word compassion is used multiple times in the Gospels to describe Jesus' actions towards those who were marginalized and suffering. One way to interpret that word compassion is to say that Jesus' heart went out to them. However, the um, the more accurate translation is a bit more raw because it means to be moved in the inward parts. And in the society of Jesus' time on earth, compassion was said to be felt deep in a person's internal organs, in their intestines. So when Jesus saw that crowd of desperately suffering people, he was moved, not with a soft feeling of sadness and an, oh, these poor people but with a deep, gut-wrenching compassion that I believe hurt him, actually. He was seeing his creation suffering. And God, in the manifestation of Jesus as flesh on earth, came into this world to enter into our pain and the suffering of those who needed him most. And Jesus' example here is so important Because as followers of Jesus, we are called and we can allow his example to transform us. We can become those who not only notice people's pain and suffering, but who have deep and stirring compassion on them. Let's carry on reading our passage, the rest of the passage. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
And just imagine what the disciples are thinking. Are you joking, Jesus? We've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So after this day of Jesus healing the sick, the disciples decide it's time to send the people away. In that moment, they cannot see a solution other than them going home. And they definitely didn't see themselves as part of the solution. Jesus, however, saw it differently. I think this was really exciting for him. I think it was one of those just wait and see what I'm going to do moments. Because of Jesus' compassion, his heart and his heart for the people, he wants to work in partnership with us, with his followers, to provide for people in need. That's what he always wants to do. Some of you would have heard me talk about this before, about what I'm going to say next. It's something that really stirs me and I feel really passionate about. But I really believe that God wants to provide miraculously through us for others and maybe even for ourselves. So many of us find ourselves or know people who are in situations that do not appear to have a solution and actually naturally do not have a solution. And we do not have the money to solve the problem. Even if as a debt centre, we had loads and loads of money, or as churches in Barnet, we were really, really wealthy, the reality is we would not be able to resolve the issues that we are faced with, that are probably even here just in this church, but certainly within our community. And often, money is not the answer anyway, because not every issue needs money to resolve it. But our God, the God of the Bible, Jesus, is the miracle-working God. And he wants us to partner with him on behalf of others and for ourselves to see change in our community and our nation. We definitely need that, don't we? There are theories about this story of how to explain the feeding of the 5,000 away. And I'm sure many of you will know some of those theories about how this little boy got out his five loaves and two fish and suddenly everybody else got out their packed lunch. And woohoo! Everyone was fed and it was all sorted and that's what really happened. I do not believe that. I think that's a lie. I believe that God worked a miracle here. He multiplied, as the Bible tells us, he multiplied that food and he miraculously fed those people. And we need to see God move in that way. How would there have been 12 basketfuls left over if everyone had just brought out their picnic? That wouldn't have worked. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. 
And I just want to just take a moment. It's a bit of a detour. But I felt this is something I should do this morning. I want to ask, do you need a miracle? Or maybe you know someone who needs a miracle this morning. And it could be a financial miracle, a health miracle, something emotionally is troubling you, or mentally. God wants to move in your life, and he wants to move in the life of your family, in your friends, and your neighbours, and your community. And I just want to ask this morning, just to take a moment here, and I want to ask everyone just to close their eyes. And I want to ask you just to tell God if there's something that you need right now, whether it's for you or somebody else. And if you're comfortable to do this in an attitude of saying, Lord, I'm ready to receive, maybe you just want to hold your hands out as I pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the miracle-working God. The God who took all our sin on the cross, died a horrendous death, and rose from the dead. That is miraculous. You are the God who heals the sick. You are the God who raises the dead. You are the God who heals people, gives sight to the blind. You open the ears of the deaf. You open the mouth of the dumb. You heal our broken hearts. You heal our troubled minds. And Father, whatever the situation is now, Father, I thank you that as I talk, you even hear the prayers of every single individual here. And you know the cry of their heart. And Father, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would move in this place and you would release what is needed. You would remove that which is not wanted. And you would work in the lives of these people here today, in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Not only had Jesus' followers learned indirectly about Jesus' heart for all people, a heart that notices and feels deep compassion, they were now being shown something extraordinary, that when they accepted Jesus' invitation to step out in faith and put his compassionate into action, the miraculous happened. And Jesus' heart of compassion is central to the work of Christians Against Poverty. And Andy mentioned earlier that we have a special guest today. And I would like to invite Ida to come up And uh, Ida is one of our clients. Ida is actually one of best clients. And um, she has graciously uh, agreed to come and share some of her story this morning. So Ida, would you um, tell us a little bit about life, what life was like before you got involved with CAP? Um, I think, don't worry, they'll... Sorry. All right. Um, before I got involved in CAP, I was all alone. Um, I was struggling. Um, 
I was at the end of taking my life. And I, even though I'm old, I'm a mom, I've got 16, 18-year-old daughter now who I cannot leave. She is my life, she is everything. But all this happened because I was struggling. I didn't know who to turn to. I have no family in this country. I am all alone, but I forgot God was there. I couldn't see him. Through CAP, I met Sally. No, through the church, I met Sally, who I've known, because CAP did my um, budgeting before. So because of that, we went to Citizen Advice Bureau, and Citizen Advice Bureau said, no, don't worry, there is boots, there is cap, aha, cap. So they did help me before, so I got uh, a number. When I rang the number, the lady said, Beth, she's from the stable, she will be your advisor. Like, yes, I don't have to explain anything. The worst thing is going back how my life was, how nobody I was. I was no one. I sleep with my eyes open. When the door knocks, the government puts debt collectors. I just didn't know what to do. I couldn't even open the door or do anything. And everybody, even here in your church, today somebody said to me, I smile a lot. That's the only thing I've got. I have nothing. I don't have money. I don't have home. So because of my dad, Beth told me, don't worry. We contacted council. I owed them about £6,000 on so rent. I, what had happened to you, Ida, was what you were telling me, which is, happens for so many people and how people often find themselves in debt, was that they had stopped some of Ida's benefit and she hadn't realised and they had stopped it incorrectly and it sent her into rent arrears and gas and electric arrears and actually what did they do? They turned up at your house, the energy people. The energy companies came and changed my gas and electric to prepayment. I didn't have no money to pay. Six weeks, me and my daughter, we didn't have gas. We didn't have nothing. So. And you told me that all your food in the freezer defrosted. All. I had no gas, so my food defrosted. Everything. I went back to how easy way out. Nobody will leave me. They will bury me. But I couldn't. Take what God created. I could. I am so nice person inside, but I didn't know how to do the maths. I didn't know how to do self assessment. I go penalized left and right. But God said, when you are in your, there is no way to go. There is God's way. So God took me back home to the stable, to Sally, to 
debate into Karen and Peter. And my daughter, she still says, that's not my grandmother, that's my 60-year-old mom. And she's proud of me because I wake up in the morning and say, thank God. Today, I have £1.47 in my account. That's all I have, nothing else. But I have debt. Beth helped me, spoke to the housing. They instated my rent. Now I paid my lady, my landlady. I And I think you said as well, so Beth helped you get your universal credit. I wasn't even on universal credit. They didn't put me. And they reinstated your they, benefit. Yeah, and they, what, ha- what happened with the prepayment meter? Oh, <laughs> they realized how wrong they were. And they didn't change it, but now I pay termly. Yeah, so you don't have a prepayment meter no, anymore, do no, you? No. Beth helped them to get rid of that, I yes. think. And you paying by direct debit. I'm paying like everybody else, like I'm paying that. But the thing is, sometimes it's hard when you're all smiling, dressed up. Nobody knows what you go through. Nobody knows if your child has eaten or your child is saying to you, Mommy, have that tea today. I will not eat. Or, Mom, wear my jumper. I'm not going to college today. We become so tight. Even hunger got scared of us. We loved life, and my daughter is God's child she helped me so Ida there are some good things aren't there you've shared with us the reality of the struggle of being in debt and actually you're not debt free yet you're still working with us and we're hoping that very soon Ida will be debt free but you can hear that even in the midst of this it's a real struggle because the income and expenditure don't marry up But what are the good things that happened? Beth has been able to, and Cap, have been able to do lots of things. And you said to me earlier about, even though you have your tears here as you tell us the story, you were saying there's things that have changed, that you you tell us what's changed for you. Yeah, you know, I go to bed now. Who is it? Oh, before I used to say, oh, no speaking English. Sorry. <laughs> See? No, 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 no. But now, hi, yeah, I'm Ida. I live here. What can I do for you? I am so grateful. Actually, I have a saving account, which I don't know when I can touch it. But yeah. I've got savings, yeah, haven't at, I? <laughs> at CAP, at CAP, Ida, we have savings. Uh, CAP have a savings pot for clients to save up for future needs. And you do have some a, a good amount of money in there, so you can actually call up and ask for some Tomorrow, of your money this I'm week say because you don't have. I have the one pound forty-seven, yeah. so I can bring my home, my daughter home tomorrow. But so, the one thing I would love to tell you is, guys, God puts people situation on your way, not because you need that. No, it needs to show you I'm here for you. God loves you. God gave you that voice. You sing. 
God told you on Sunday a girl will come and she will smile and tell you everything, but you got him more than anybody else. You know, do not be afraid like me. Contact Cap. Cap again is property. Just go and talk to Karen, but even me. And there you go. There are so many of you here. Do not suffer in silence, I beg you. Because I did. It didn't take, do me any good. So there is help for all of us. Anybody wants need help, God will guide you. God will save you. God will protect you. God loves you. Ida, you are such an amazing ambassador. I think, I think there's a bit of a preacher in here as well, isn't there? And one of, one of the things I said to Ida, you know, for the future, she's looking forward to going debt-free. And I asked her what impact it had had on her at a faith level. And the thing she said to me, which I thought was really lovely, was Jesus is home. Jesus is my home. And coming back to Jesus... But I think we need to pray for Ida because you can see, like, for so many people who work with us in CAP and go debt-free, it doesn't mean it's suddenly really easy for them. It's really hard because the reality of the nation today is that people are really, really struggling. And we need our miracle-working God to come work. So I'm going to ask Beth to come and pray for Ida. Yeah, Father, I just thank you for Ida. I just thank you for her life. I just thank you for her story. I just thank you that you are her home. And I just pray that you would make that even more of a reality for her, that she would just know it, just the fullness even more of what that means. And I just bless you, Ida. Um, I just had that Isaiah 40 for you before, and I was just thinking and praying for you. And Just those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. And I just pray that over you, Ida. I just pray you would know hope, even more hope. (laughs) I just thank you that you overflow with it and it's contagious. And I just thank you that your story will impact others as well. And yeah, I just bless you as you go forward. We just bless your finances. We bless your um, journey as you will become debt-free. Um, I just bless your daughter. Um, I thank you for her, and I just pray you'll bless her life and what you are doing in her as well. Um, Yeah, I just pray you'll know the richness and the fullness of God's love in a whole new way. Just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you finished? Oh, it's the thing in the UK is rising. Can you you stop the video, please? I think we have the wrong PowerPoint up there, actually. Don't worry, that's fine. 
We'll manage it. Some of the wording might be wrong on some of it. But um, I just wanted to give you a quick update on what's actually happening with the Barnet Cap Debt Centre. When we were here in July, we talked about how 12 people had gone debt-free since July 21. And you can see it's now 18, which is wonderful, isn't it? And the amount of debt that has been cleared has gone from just 145,000 to uh, over 228,000. So that is wonderful that God continues to use us here in Barnet uh, and, and us as the stable and Christchurch to really be reaching out to people. And I just want to um, just come back to that client who I told you about because that client, uh, one day I was with her, with the befriender, and we were talking about Jesus. And she said, stop talking about Jesus now. I don't want you to talk about Jesus in this place. And um, that was quite hard. There was this really strong reaction. She had let me pray for her, um, but we continued to pray that God would move in her situation. And wonderfully, she went debt-free in the summer. So as we prayed for her, God enabled her to move forward with the process. She's now debt-free. But I spoke to her recently, and while I was on the phone to her, I just thought, I'm not sure if I should offer to pray for her today. And just before I put the phone down, she said, Karen, will you please pray for me? Because it makes such a difference when you pray. I love the sense of peace. So God is moving in her life. That's really wonderful. So this morning, as we come to a close, I just, as Andy was speaking earlier about a challenge, I was just thinking what the reason is that we come to church. And I wonder if we ever think about, I'm going to church this morning to be challenged. Some days we may think that. But I wonder what the reason is that we come. I think there can be multiple reasons that we come. You know, we may come to, um, you know, have a time of good worship. Um, We may, like the person who's speaking, we think, oh, that'll be good today. want to hear what they've got to say. Or maybe you just want to catch up with people, see some friends. Or maybe it's just something that we're in the habit of doing. But actually, I think one of the reasons that God brings us together with him is because he wants to challenge us. And I think he does want to challenge us this morning and ask us, do we need to do something? Maybe you already are. I know a number of you are in many different ways, not just with CAP, but there's lots of other ministries that this church runs that people are involved with. But is God calling you to reach out with compassion to one of your neighbours, to a family member, to be part of a project, to be part of CAP? And there's so many ways that you can get involved. You could become part of the prayer team. You could become a befriender. We are looking for somebody to do some admin for us. It costs £22,000 a year to run the debt centre, and 50% of that cost is covered. Maybe you're somebody who has fundraising skills and you would love to help us. Maybe you're somebody who can give. And I want to thank those who are giving regularly. We have um, a scheme that people can be part of called Hope Bringers, and some people have already joined this and are giving monthly. If you would like to do that, please come and speak to Beth and I afterwards. No amount is too small. Equally, you can uh, scan the QR code as well. And just one thing to say before I finish, too, is that if 
That says Melinda, it should say Ida. If Ida's story resonated with you this morning, please don't leave here without speaking to us, or you can just ring that number, but you can get some information about that. So I'm just going to pray as we finish, and thank you for your time listening to me this morning. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you that you call us to partner with you in reaching our community, in reaching our world, and in making a difference. Thank you, Jesus, that you called us to be with you, to become like you, and to do what you did when you walked on this earth. And Jesus, that's what we want to do. And Father, I pray that you would stir us this morning. What does that mean for us individually? What does that mean for me? Lord, help us to follow you and respond to your call upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Karen and Ida.